This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Mr. Zhang, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton today. It's a great honor to be speaking with you. Uh, if you think back to the beginning of your leadership journey, who are your earliest role models? What, whom do you regard as your most important teachers of leadership? And what lessons did you learn from them that have stood the test of time? So we really learned a lot from Panasonic in the beginning of our business. Back then, um, Chinese uh, businesses on general are not very mature in terms of of their management methods. And uh, we learned a lot from Panasonic and its president's uh, method of effective management. In terms of a role model, I've uh, read uh, a lot of books by uh, Peter Drucker. Mm -hmm. And that was was a time when um, his books are not yet available in Chinese translation. Mm -hmm. And I had to get a copy um, that was published in Taiwan. And I, uh, my, uh, the, the one book that I remember very clearly was titled The Effective Executive, mm. um, where he talked about what kind of things an executive do, uh, should do to make his work effective and what are the ineffective uh, things that should not be done. And I remember in particular that he wrote that in a well-managed company, there shouldn't be anything too exciting happening because every the routine and the rules have been established. Whereas back in China at that time, um, it seems that people think that um, there should be a lot of exciting things happening. There should be a lot of activity going on. So that very distinctive idea really struck me. And um, I really admire um, him and his thoughts. And I think he is someone who really approach management, not just as um, different management models, but really focusing on people. Um, And we think we should focus internally on our own employee and externally on our customers and users. And and what are some of the lessons that he learned from these teachers that have stood the test of time? I think one lesson that I learned from um, Peter Drucker uh, was that he thinks managing or being a manager is not about managing how many people or how large a team, but really about the results and value that you can create. Um, you can be very highly skilled, you can have very high-ranking um, positions in the company, but if you do not produce any real results, it's still ineffective. And I think I have used this idea in our Indankhoi model, um, where we have encouraged um, our, uh, our, our members of our team to become entrepreneurial and to start their own micro-enterprises. And in this process, we have eliminated 10,000 middle-level managers who um, didn't really create value for the users. Now that we have built this um, platform for entrepreneurship, the micro-enterprises are not just, are not about um, uh, having power or having a high position, they're all about creating value for the user, and I think this is the most important. 
When Mr. Zhang spoke at Wharton in 2001, he told this amazing story about how he took over a struggling refrigerator factory in at the age of 35. Uh, you know, thinking back about those days, what were the biggest challenges that he faced and how did he overcome them along with the others at the, at the company? I think the, uh, the challenges are twofold. Uh, first, there are financial challenges um, because our products didn't sell very well in the very beginning and we didn't have money. And I had to borrow money, actually, um, for the first six months after I took over that factory to just pay our workers' salaries and wages because we were a collectively owned enterprise and not a state-owned enterprise. Banks were unwilling to lend to us, and I had to uh, find other means to borrow that money. But I think the second fold of challenge is even more important, which is we lacked um, highly skilled and high-caliber talent. Uh, and I think this is a problem that, that was widespread in the Chinese corporate world back then. Even large um, state-owned enterprises had this problem, let, let alone uh, our factory, which was very small back then. And um, the, our, our workers are not very were not very skilled. And even if when we try to import uh, high technologies, um, there is still a gap between the people who can operate them and the, um, the uh, technology that we can get. And I think this is a problem that we took a long time to solve. And I, uh, the, the story of uh, sludge hammering our refrigerators <laughs> yeah, is also, was also a reflection yeah. of that. Yeah. And there were indeed a lot of um, failed cases yeah. where other companies tried to import uh, technologies, but they didn't have the right talent to make that work. So how, how was this problem solved? Because uh, this is a problem whose solution is broader than just one company. It is something that has to be solved at the social level in terms of raising the level of skills of the workforce. Uh, how, how, how did uh, uh, Mr. Zhang and Hyer solve this problem, and what are the lessons uh, that were learned from this? Indeed, this was a, a problem that many companies faced this gap of uh, technology and people to use that technology effectively. For many other larger companies, they, especially state-owned companies, they can turn to the government to ask for more college graduates or highly skilled um, technicians to help them. Uh, of course, that is, a, that is a way to solve the problem. But I think more importantly, and also for, uh, for ourselves, uh, we we turned uh, inward, we turned uh, to our own people, and we tried to help them grow and train them, especially to help them change their mindset, uh, their attitude toward working. Um, and I think, I believe Drucker has also said that uh, a mindset change does not change the fact itself. It changes uh, the perspective that you have. Um, uh, at looking or examining the fact. And I, 
an important aspect of the mindset is having the teamwork spirit. And uh, we back then started what we call autonomous groups, which are smaller teams of workers who help each other and grow and, and work more effectively. And I think that's, um, that's really an, an, an earlier version of our micro-enterprises that are, we're running today. And uh, this is really how we solve this problem, by helping our own people grow and, and helping them um, change, change their mindset. I would love to now dig deeper into the idea of the micro-enterprises and, and the, the, the concept of Rendon Hay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, uh, what is the origin of that concept? And what were the main reasons why this was developed as a as a philosophy at FIRE? So when our company was still small, we were a very energetic team. But as we scale, we have um, we have witnessed a lot more problems, such as silos between different departments and how they have become really self-centered as individual um, departments instead of working together to get closer to their end user. So we really got this so-called big enterprise disease. Mm -hmm. And that was really the origin or why we believe it's important to change our business model and, and to develop this new model of management. What, have, uh, what has been the impact of this new model on hire in terms of performance, and maybe we can look at some different dimensions. What has been the impact on revenue growth, on profitability, employee engagement, and even something like agility in decision making? We first proposed the Renanghui model back in September 2005 and it's almost been 13 years. For the first few years, our performance didn't really pick up. We, had, we have two listed uh, companies in China, and um, our stock price did not grow significantly in the, in the very beginning. And uh, some of the shareholders, uh, some of the shareholders have expressed concerns but during our shareholders' meetings, we, uh, we communicated with them and we let them know that this is the model that we believe will lead to success, especially in this changing world where, um, where we, we're entering at the internet era. However, we still um, face a lot of pressure and, and questioning because our performance has uh, had not yet to, um, to pick up during the first few years. We, our performance really picked up starting uh, in 2016. Our stock price doubled that year, and then in 2017, it, our stock price doubled again. And this pickup in performance is really, no, is really no coincidence. It is the accumulative effect of many years of, um, of working in the microenterprise model. And I think there are two key elements for this microenterprise model. The first is that these microenterprises are not 
in, in a traditional, are not connected in a traditional cascading way, but really connected in a parallel way and interconnected so that they can work together to create value for the user. And the second key point is that these microenterprises are really user-oriented. They create um, they create value for their user, and that's how really they get paid. Uh, they have to create value for their user to get paid, and uh, the greater value they create, the, the better they will be paid. And they no longer uh, have to rely on decisions from the very top. They can make their own decisions to solve customer pain points and, and, and to develop their new own products. So that our organization has also become much less hierarchical. And these microenterprise teams have also been empowered with really three very important uh, powers. They can make their own business decision, and they can make their own hiring decisions. And thirdly, they can allocate their resources as well as compensation. Uh, it's very interesting that the model took some time to, to, to develop. Uh, what were some of the challenges in the early years when the Rindan Hay model did not succeed? And what changed in 2016, 2017 that led to such a big growth? It, indeed, it took a very long time for this model to, to show its success because it takes time to change people's mindset. Previously, we were, in our organization, uh, execution was the most important thing, and we had a very strong culture of execution. To change that to an entrepreneurial mindset took time, and people have to adapt because previously they worked in siloed departments, they didn't really know who their users are, and they didn't know how to engage their users. But after becoming, or as they transition to the microenterprise model, they really should, uh, they, they really needed to take time to start to think about their user and how to engage them. This is not uh, a process that is that, completed in overnight, especially when we um, when we let go uh, more than 10,000 middle-level middle managers and transitioned to the microenterprise models, we, we had to start small in, in smaller pilots and then replicate those pilots um, ap after they, so they show some success. In 2016, that's almost a decade since, the, uh, when, we, since when we first proposed the model. Um, we have seen um, some great changes in the in the performance, but this is really not um, the result of a of a single event or a sudden change. Um, we believed at that time that it was important to start uh, working on connected uh, uh, connected appliances mm -hmm. so that we can directly communicate and engage our users rather than relying on uh, traditional distribution channels such as e-commerce we have our own network and we rely on that network to engage directly with the users through connected um, appliances uh, I'm, I'm very glad you mentioned connected appliances because one of the things I find very interesting about what Hire is doing 
is how this entrepreneurial way of thinking has led to innovation. Uh, and I would love to understand more about what has been the impact of innovation within the company and, and what are some of the lessons that other companies can learn from hires experience in this regard. Innovation, according to Schumpeter's uh, definition, is creative destruction. It means creating a new ability that did not exist before or others cannot replicate. By creating connected appliances, we are really creating an ecosystem to connect and engage users so that we're no longer just selling products, but making them really a lifetime user of our products and services. And this is especially important for the 21st century. Ecosystem is how we create value for users. Many other companies believe innovation is just in new products or new technologies, but we believe innovation is really about how to use new ways to create value for the user. And it's not at the company level, it's really at every individual employee or entrepreneurial level. In each microenterprise, every member should be able to be connected to the user and create value for them. This is a model that is not easily replicated in other companies. I have talked with um, management scholar Gary Hamill, and, and he said that our model is very uh, is not seen anywhere else uh, in American companies, especially in very large corporations. In Silicon Valley, similarly, um, it, is, it is not easily seen. And this individual level innovation is something that I think is quite unique. I, I would uh, welcome some examples of connected products. For example, I know that Hire has developed networked refrigerator, which has connections with 400 suppliers. Uh, and I've also read that it even connects with providing low glucose products for diabetics. Uh, can you explain how this strategy of connected appliances came about? And what are some of the advantages and some of the risks of that strategy? For example, is there a risk of privacy of information when you depend on, on, on networked products that are not standalone products but part of just a node in a network? Mm -hmm. Uh, what are some of the privacy risks that Hire is facing, and how do they deal with that? Talking about the advantages of connected appliances strategy, we believe first, by having connected appliances, we are really creating a network of touch points to reach out to customers directly. This is something that traditional companies cannot do. They just sell products and it's very transactional. And even e-commerce, it's just a trading platform for, for selling online. Uh, here at Hire, we have really integrated uh, offline uh, brick and mortar stores with online uh, stores, as well as with uh, social selling uh, platforms such as WeChat. We have combined all these three channels into one, and that has uh, enabled us to reach out to every customer having um, 
all rounded touch points. And the, set, and the second advantage is that it helps us to develop new products through iterative um, enhancement. And we can develop new, newer and better generations of products based on uh, feedback from the users. And it's not just about the products, it's also about the services. For example, the connected refrigerator, the, um, the suppliers, and the whole ecosystem service uh, is also updated and uh, improved and optimized in this process. I believe these are the two advantages that are really unique to, to our model. Security is indeed a very big issue. And we, are, we have been thinking about it all the time. Indeed, um, what if someone breaks into a smart home system and turns on um, the gas stove, for example? I think companies around the world are thinking and developing solutions to increase um, security. However, uh, we are also using a different approach. Most uh, connected devices have sensors, but those are really just product-based sensors. We are trying to sense, what we are trying to sense is user, um, user engagement and, and user feedback so that we can directly understand what they need and how they would like the products to be improved. Uh, just a quick follow-up on that. Uh, a number of uh, companies are now using artificial intelligence to, to identify uh, security problems and fraud and so on. Uh, is higher looking at those kinds of technologies to solve some of the security issues that you, he mentioned? AI is indeed growing very quickly, and I think it serves as the foundation uh, of the transition from the mobile internet era to the IoT or Internet of Things era. Yes. And I think that's undeniable and uh, undoubtedly true. Uh, how However, um, I believe also in the foreseeable future, AI still cannot acquire um, human emotions or human awareness. AlphaGo can defeat the world um, chess champion. However, it cannot experience the joy of victory. That's true. Algorithms can solve a lot of problems, but it really cannot reach out to people on the emotional or human level. We believe community economy and sharing economy are critical for this day and age. And we really need to reach out and interact, interact with um, our users and to have every stakeholder in the community economy to have their uh, benefits maximized and have their interests maximized. So I believe AI is a necessary condition and um, indeed a foundation uh, for our world today. But if you bet everything on AI, it probably will be problematic and you probably will not develop a very competitive business model. That's a very wise answer and I want to thank him for his perspective on that. Coming back to the point of uh, micro-enterprises, uh, when you transform a big organization into a large number of micro-enterprises, some of them are going to succeed and others will not succeed. Uh, since HIRE has been conducting the, on this road for a while, 
what are the characteristics of the micro enterprises that have succeeded and how do they compare with the characteristics of those that have not succeeded what sets the winners apart from those who don't succeed successful micro enterprises really have three characteristics first they are very entrepreneurial and very good at identifying new market opportunities so that they can um, develop those markets and develop and, and seize the opportunities. Secondly, they are very well self-organized and they can, they are also very open to um, inviting others, people not in the organization to join them in their research and development. We believe the entire world can serve as your HR pool and um, when you have an idea that's attractive enough, you can invite the brilliant mind to join you. Right. The third characteristic is that these successful macro-enterprises are very self-driven and yeah. very motivated. They are always looking for the next opportunity to grow. They, this is something that we call the second curve. Yeah. They may already have reached the peak of the first curve, but in order to grow even further, they have to find the next curve. And I think these three characteristics are really interconnected and should be in a, in, in a if a micro-enterprise can have all, them, all of these, they will be able to create a virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. If a micro-enterprise uh, is unable, is not doing well in, in one of these aspects, then, um, then after some time, um, they will have to dissolve if they're not successful enough. Can you give a couple of examples of micro-enterprises that have embodied these three qualities and what can other micro-enterprises learn from their experience? Thunder Robot is a very good example that embodies these three characteristics. This is a micro-enterprise that produces gaming laptops laptop, high-performance laptops for, uh, for gamers. Mm. This is a very niche market. However, they have identified many user pain points, um, as many as 3,000 complaints online, and mm. they realized how current existing products are unsatisfactory. So they developed their own product, and they engaged uh, external manufacturers to produce their products. And after a couple of years, they started from zero and they were able to rise to the industry's very top, this, uh, this uh, segment's very top. And it has now achieved IPO. But um, in order to further grow, in order to find that next curve, they are very good at um, identifying new markets and they are now into the gaming business itself. And the founders of this micro-enterprise are really very young, people born in the 1980s. And I think this is a very good example. Well, as Hire continues to grow globally, uh, you have bought companies in Western countries. Uh, so for example, in 2016, Hire bought GE Appliances. Uh, has uh, the Hire tried to extend the micro-enterprise model to these new acquisitions? which have had traditional management structures and 
If so, what have been some of the cultural barriers uh, that Hire has faced in trying to extend this model, and how have how has the company dealt with it? GE appliances used, of course, a, a very traditional linear management model. They have rules regarding every aspect of the business that people can simply just follow. However, in today's nonlinear world, in order to reach out to users effectively, that model is no longer relevant and changes need to be made. However, it is sometimes very difficult in a nonlinear world to, to, to tell people to have rules regarding how or what everybody should do. To change the GE model from a traditional cascading um, model that uh, starts from R&D and then to manufacturing and then to distribution to a parallel uh, interconnected model. We um, have broken up the original R&D department, which consisted of 600 people, into smaller teams that focus on different categories of products. For example, um, washing machine and refrigerators, so that they can be um, flexible and they can also um, get external resources if they need uh, extra uh, R&D uh, help. And this has also helped them to become very much more uh, motivated. Originally, we, we wanted to start with one pilot model, pilot, but now there are, they have been, there are seven microenterprises already in uh, at GE Appliances. Uh, one of the best performing microenterprises last year made 12 million USD, US dollars in profit in contrast to losing 3 million the year before. The other thing uh, that has been changed at GE Appliances is compensation structure. Mm. Previously, only the very top executives get stock option incentives, but that's just a very small minority of the entire workforce. Today in the micro-enterprise model, everybody can share the profit made by, using, by creating value for the users. And when they get this extra bonus, it's not just monetary, it is also something that can encourage people on a personal level. Did uh, uh, Hire face any cultural resistance within GE or any of the other companies that were acquired to bring about these changes? Because organizational transformation is extremely difficult. Uh, how was that cultural resistance overcome? One of the cultural shifts that needs to take place at GE Appliances was uh, the mindset that originally, my, or the original mindset was shareholder first, but now the mindset should be employee or people first, employee first. This is something that's, um, that's been a very big cultural issue that's been very hard to, to change, especially with the senior executives. Another issue is 
how to change the mindset of the employees. Previously, they are just uh, they just take their jobs as a、um, nine to five job, and they are really people who are managed by others. They're just fulfilling their job descriptions, and now they're and. Also different from Japanese culture, where everybody worked very hard and they can,、uh, they're willing to work hard <coughs> over time. In the American culture, most uh, employees um, just um, take the job, their job as a nine-to-five job. So it's it's also hard to build a team with a very strong team spirit、uh, in a micro enterprise. And we believe the. The the way the effective way to address this is to understand that it is universal for every for everybody to have a desire to、um, to win respect through hard work and also to realize their personal potential and personal value in a team when everybody helps each other when they can create value for the user and get rewarded.、Um, They start to help each other and become a, a truly effective team. Again, wonderful answer. So thank you, thank you for that.、Uh, clearly, the、uh, micro enterprise model has created a lot of entrepreneurship and innovation within hire.、Uh, I, I see that clearly.、Uh, what does he see as the biggest risks of this model? Uh, and how has the company tried to mitigate these risks? For example, how do you manage the balance between competition and cooperation when you have such a large number of micro enterprises、uh, and you are managing an ecosystem? And an ecosystem cannot really be managed. You know, I think actually the balancing competition and Cooperation isn't the biggest、uh, problem because everything that our micro enterprises do is to create a smart home, and、uh, this is the guiding principle that guides the work of all micro enterprises. And when micro enterprises grow much bigger,、uh, they can be separated into、uh, smaller teams so that one gives. You know, gives birth to two or more micro enterprises, and I don't see many、uh, clashes or、um, you know、uh, imbalances in in this process. But I think the real、uh, the real challenge, actually, the real risk is、uh, one of self complacency. When these micro enterprises grow big, and some of them. Get venture capital and、uh, achieve IPO. They become、uh, less and less open, and、mm. they become much inward-looking.、Mm. They are not looking for better talent、mm. uh, externally to help them further improve.、Mm. And I think this is a risk that is very difficult to quantify. Also,、mm. oftentimes when you dis- when you discover such a problem, it's already too late、mm. to correct it. So I think this is. A much greater risk. What is he doing to correct it? This is mainly two factors. One is that micro enterprises should realize how they are performing by first looking at their user、uh, feedback, 
whether their users are turning to other products and turning away from theirs and expressing dissatisfaction. And secondly, they should, uh, we will require all microenterprises to attract external funding, venture capitalist funding. And if they cannot do, do that successfully, that shows that their products are, are not very promising. So these are the two ways that microenterprises can self-assess. Rather than relying on us, they can right. understand um, if there's a problem with them. Got it. Uh, we, we talked earlier about how the Internet of Things is, is bringing about some fundamental changes. Uh, also robotics, artificial intelligence, we talked about all that. As all these technological changes take place, uh, what will the future strategy for microenterprises at the higher level have to be? How, how will the, the Renandahi model have to change uh, in response to some of these changes? There are new technologies um, emerging every day, and um, I think big data is uh, taking big data as an example, which is which has now become as important as electrical power was to to, to the 20th century. But I think big data. We this is something that we should also be. Um, be aware that it's important not only to look at the big data, but also look at personalized um, data on the, on the user level, which we call small data. In the IoT era, that is, uh, this small data is more more important than than big data. Big data brings you uh, user traffic uh, in the mobile internet era, but the internet but in the Internet of Things era. The real opportunity lies in individualized uh, understanding of each user. Of course, we should not reject uh, new technologies. We should follow um, their trends, but it is very necessary to understand that everything should still start from the individual needs of the users uh, rather than from new technologies. Oh, I would think it'll work. Go ahead. Okay. Thanks. What are, what are the leadership implications of this change? What kind of new leadership skills will be required at different levels of the organization as this shift happens? Okay. So Mr. Zhang thinks the changes to the leadership can be completely disrupting or risk-taking. It will turn everything upside down. Uh, well, currently, uh, the books about leadership are uh, voluminous. You say all kinds of books about leadership. But at the end of the day, the core of all those books uh, is about uh, how can better control and manage your employees, how to improve your skill of controlling and managing other people. Uh, we're in today's new era. Uh, what, calling Ms. Zhang, uh, what is key to leadership is to uh, transform your employees, your workers, into makers. So what, uh, instead of being entrepreneurial in the past, now, what you should do to build a platform whereby the erstwhile uh, workers can become makers, can become entrepreneurs, how to make your employees more entrepreneurial is more important than being entrepreneurial yourself. Okay. Uh, therefore, uh, in this uh, new IoT era, uh, you know, everything is, is different. 
you know, the way we measure leadership should also be different uh, from Paris past. Also, when it comes to management, uh, things has, have been turned upside down as well. Uh, previous uh, management uh, classical models, including the HR management or compensation management, or the traditional linear, very several ways of management, everything has to be based on a fixed protocol or routine. Uh, those things are no longer working in this IoT era. We need to adopt a new, innovative, uh, non-linear non -linear management model. Uh, or in, to give you a, an analogy, uh, previously the management is all about uh, uh, you know, shooting a fixed target, but now you have a moving target. So you use the traditional model, you can never uh, you know, shoot a target, you'll fail. I wanted to uh, end with maybe two or three personal questions. Uh, if you think back on your life, what do you believe to be your most important successes? And what do you believe to be your most instructive failures? Uh, well, in terms of most important successes, I think uh, it's all about timing. Uh, I believe that uh, the most successful thing is to do the right thing at the right time. Right? Uh, to give you a few examples of the uh, history of hair, uh, you know, when we first started, company back in the 1980s, China was still in a kind of shortage economy. Uh, people had a high demand for high quality products. Uh, you know, it's very hard for them to find quality products. That is, that is why the Japanese home appliances and other products were very popular among Chinese consumers because they brought them high quality. So we uh, were one of the few appliance manufacturers uh, who, uh, which can successfully solve the problem of the quality. That was why uh, we had initial successes in the 1980s. Another uh, milestone of our uh, so-called success, uh, namely doing the right thing at the right time, happened in 1998 when we first built our factory here in the United States. Because back then it was uh, on the brink of China's uh, accession to the WTO. Uh, everyone is talking about the U.S. investment and, and uh, you know, factory building in China. Nobody thought that we could also build a factory here in the U.S. But we believe it was the right move. And that was the start of our internationalization strategy, which turned out to be correct against the WTO accession and the globalization process. So I believe that was another you know, milestone where we did the right thing at the right time. I think the uh, next important move uh, is the uh, this uh, proposal of this Rendang uh, model back in 2005. And we believe that has proved to be also another correct move at the right moment. The current challenge is what we should do to deal with this upcoming IoT era. We have done a lot, but we don't know whether it will prove to be correct, uh, and we will see in the future. So, because you know, it remains unknown because we have so many new technologies, as you mentioned, a few artificial intelligence or big data, everything is evolving so fast. So there's so many unknown quantities, so we don't know whether we're on the right track. Uh, so we talked about the successes. Mm. What are some of the, 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 the biggest failures that have been most instructive in teaching lessons? Well, uh, in terms of this day-to-day uh, -day, uh, technical uh, error or decisions, uh, there can be many so-called mistakes or uh, you know, failures, uh, which we didn't make the right decision. Uh, but those are less important. In terms of the more strategic uh, opportunity or strategic uh, failures, I think the most uh, uh, you know, astounding one would be the e-commerce opportunity, um, which we failed to seize, mm -hmm. where other companies seized opportunity and became an uh, e-commerce giant. So that was a very obvious uh, you know, uh, failure that's most instructive to me. Okay. Great. Uh, 
What are some of the most important leadership lessons that he would like other companies to learn from Hire's experience? Well, in fact, uh, more than 10,000 companies <coughs> visited here uh, last year alone mm. to try to uh, you know, understand our model and replicate our model. Uh, they, after their visit and understanding of our uh, ways of doing things, they typically spoke highly of our model, yet they all complained that it's very hard to replicate. The, the, my last question is, how do you define success? Uh, well, speaking of success, uh, there is a saying we often uh, you know, say with our companies that uh, there's no such thing as a successful company. Uh, there are only failed companies. Uh, so in terms of the definition of success, I would say, well, again, you're doing the right thing at the right moment. You're at a, you know, kind of the, uh, the right uh, moment of the times. So, uh, and to do that, you have to be correct in every step of the way in actually predicting the future. But future is unpredictable, and no one can always predict the future correctly, uh, because we're all human beings. Uh, we're all, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're not divinities. We cannot predict the future always correctly. In that sense, uh, you know, instead of uh, predicting the future, uh, we should create the future by challenging ourselves. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.